Good morning. This is Brad Lacey, pastor of First Baptist Church at Conshohocken, president of the Philadelphia Bible Society, and for this hour, host of The Great Message on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. I am joined, and it is my consummate pleasure, by Mr. Matthias Pertula of the America First Policy Institute. You will know Matthias well. He has been a frequent guest and a very fine friend to this broadcast. First, however, we turn to another fine friend, the Apostle Paul. We read from his letter to the Colossians, the third chapter. We begin in the 12th verse. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against each other, forgive each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all else, above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, it has been my pastoral experience, and it's a rather rueful one. The number of Christians, I mean men and women who clearly put their trust in Jesus Christ, they identify as such, as believers in Jesus Christ, they wouldn't flinch in speaking it, even before the prevailing and antagonistic authorities. And yet, if you were to ask them in a moment of honesty, do you know that God loves you? They would be hard-pressed to answer yes. I think it's in large measure because we do not live in a world that is inculcated by the agape, or the holy and sacrificial love of Christ. I think it's because we live in a world, and this is a continuous theme to my preaching and teaching and to my own reflections. We live in a world, even amongst an evangelical world, for those of us who are evangelicals, we speak of the love of Christ. We quote with great glee John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whosoever should believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. We speak the language of love, and no doubt mean it as we speak it. But we, in practical terms, we're not so much living lives of love as we are living lives of what we like, or we're living lives in a more debased sense in terms of our lusts. And by lusts, we don't simply mean our sexual passions, but anything that motivates or drive us that is of the flesh. Our likes and our lusts, because they are of our natural selves, they easily uh, obfuscate and outweigh that which is of the Spirit of God. It is why as Christians we must be so intentional in surrendering to Christ and to receiving what Christ has for us, to receive 
the love of Christ is a precious thing, to know that he loves us beyond measure, and, and it can be proven. It is Christ who went to the cross for us. He did so out of pure, unadulterated, holy love. He didn't do it out of wrath, although the cross does speak to the wrath of God. If it were purely wrath, then he could have certainly just zapped us all out of existence. And it certainly didn't speak to his likes, because I very much doubt that Christ enjoyed the cross. Indeed, we know that he did not, to put it mildly. He did so out of love for us. And therefore, you may know, identify yourself by name, and then in the first person singular, I know that Jesus Christ loves me. It is such a sad and woeful reality that there are so many believers who have not yet appropriated for themselves at the deepest personal level the love of Christ. And yet this text that we've read, it starts out, the opening salvo speaks to us as those who are holy and beloved of God. Holy and beloved of God, so holy and so beloved that he actually chose us, that in his heart, we dwelt in his heart before the world was created. That is what Paul tells us in Ephesians, the first chapter. We were in the heart of God before we were even created. My young and fine friend, Matthias Pertula, who joins me after this devotional for conversation, he has uh, children. He and his wife love those children from the moment of their conception. But between the moment of conception and their delivery into this world, there was a nine-month interregnum during which these little ones resided within their mummy's womb. But they were loved no less. And we were loved before the very creation of the world, praise God. So when Paul instructs us to forgive each other, he adds a very significant addendum or rejoinder, because God has forgiven you. That is, that is so precious also to understand that we stand before the bar of eternal justice forgiven. You know, the great American writer John Steinbeck, and I must say, I relate to what he has to say in his wonderful book entitled Travels with Charlie. Back in the early 1960s, Steinbeck literally traveled the country by car with Charlie, his French poodle. And he made the observation at one point that whenever he saw a policeman, whether the police officer was walking his beat or in his squad car, whenever he saw a policeman, he felt guilty. I tend to think the same thing myself. I don't know why. If I do, it's simply because of the reality that we are all sinners. Thankfully, those of us who know Christ, we've, we are sinners saved by grace, and we stand forgiven. Those of us who wrestle with guilty mindsets, it's a psychological pathology. We must understand and appropriate that we stand forgiven before God himself. Indeed, it's John Stott, and I believe I shared this last week in the earlier devotional, the great English expositor John Stott, the great go-to man for those of my generation in ministry. Stott said that as Christians, we have two rights, and only two rights as believers. We may have 10 rights as Americans, but we have two rights as Christians. The first is to know that we stand forgiven 
and we may claim the forgiveness of God because of the shed blood of Jesus. The other is consequent to that. We have the right to identify ourselves as the children of God himself. I am a child of the Most High. The great Billy Burke, he was an 18th century Scottish evangelist. He traveled the entire nation of Scotland up and down throughout his itinerant preaching existence. And he would shout as he, as he traveled, as people were within earshot, he would shout out, and I quote, I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child of the king. I praise God that I too, and I trust you are, and you may, beyond a shadow of a doubt, courtesy of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Uh, Paul speaks of this love. He says, put it on. Above everything else, put on the love of Christ. For this love binds everything together in perfect unity. It's why as Christians, we can have doctrinal disagreements and still recognize one another as believers. It is not the doctrine that binds us. It is the love of Christ that binds us. It is the love of Christ that is the glue. And in within the framework of his love, if there be differences amongst us, I love how Paul puts it again in Colossians, the third chapter. If there be differences amongst you, God will at the appropriate time reveal to you what's what. Now, that's the Brad Lacey translation, but it is what essentially Paul said. God will reveal the difference. He'll reveal what is right and what is wrong, and we'll all discover something in the final analysis. We were all wrong on any number of fronts, but to be abiding in the love of Christ. Didn't Jesus say, if you love me, you'll obey me, and if you obey me, my Father and I, we will come and we will make our home with you. What a loving home that would truly, truly be. Greater love has no man than this, than that he laid down his life for his friends. A doctrinal difference will prompt you to want in your flesh to trump your opponent. It doesn't have to be an evangelical versus a Catholic. It could be two Baptists or two Pentecostals, but you will want to trump your opponent in the argument. But the love of Christ, you will want to embrace one another, come alongside of one another, and discern the truth, and discover the Word of God for what it says. Together, praise the Lord. Love is that which binds everything together. And then let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. The peace that only Christ has to give, received with gratitude, an expression of a humble heart. I close by quoting Churchill, who spoke of courage during the Second World War as being the greatest of the virtues, because without courage, all the rest would be meaningless. We could say today, in this narcissistic era, without gratitude, all of the other qualities are meaningless. So let us be grateful, and I'm so grateful for each and every one of you. Brad Lacey with the great message. We'll return in a moment. Brad Lacey returning with the great message on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. I am so pleased to have Mr. Matthias Pertuller back with us today. This, I think, is perhaps Matthias's third visit in recent times. Matthias is on board with the America First 
Policy Institute out of Washington, D.C. Formerly, Matthias was with the International Christian Concern, a watchdog ministry on behalf of our persecuted brethren. Matthias, welcome back again. Brad, I'm always honored to be back. Thanks for having me again. Well, when you begged me to return, I couldn't resist. I had to, you know, I, <laughs> not at all. I just, you know that. It is a joy to have you back. Uh, you are a very welcome guest, trust me. Thank you. Uh, very welcome. And we have a wonderful rapport. You're doing fabulous work. Tell us something about what you do in general for anyone who doesn't as of yet know. Sure, just a quick overview with the uh, Center for American Values uh, and America First Policy Institute. We focus on two core issues. Uh, we work on religious freedom, both internationally and domestically, crafting policy and making recommendations on that front on how to best advance that freedom, both here at home and around the world. Um, and also we work on uh, pro-life issues on how we can cultivate a, a greater culture of life in the United States. So, a culture of life, which is significant. It goes beyond simply the cessation of abortions uh, imperative. You take the wider view. I don't know if I've ever told you, Matthias, my beautiful wife, now with Jesus, she was in her earlier years before my dime with her. She, she was on the front lines of the pro-life movement. She paid the price at least five, if not seven or eight times, found herself behind bars and before judges. These were all peaceful demonstrations, but uh, she put her life where her mouth was, and she had such a deep heart for the unborn, and indeed, had this was this came, this movement in her life was after her coming to faith, but before she came to faith, as a young woman with a lot of trouble, she had children out of wedlock, she would have been counseled to undergo abortions, even then with her Catholic upbringing, she categorically refused. And uh, she honored those babies within her. She came to know the love of Christ, became a consummate partner to me in ministry. Uh, she would have loved to have met you, oh, truly. I would have loved to have met her and talked to her about those experiences. Well, People like you make all the difference in your, this fight. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. But brother, with America First Policy Institute, You've been working on a wonderful program called Biblical Foundations. Give us a quick overview of this. Yeah, so I think the best way to kind of put it is really we want to bring uh, God back into policy. So everything that we put out um, in terms of policy recommendations, we just we don't believe it's just the right course for the country, but we want to ground them in scriptural basis. So we have 10 particular pillars that we've uh, we're really pushing on. That's kind of our agenda there. And that's where we, we want to ground all of those recommendations and all the work that we pull from that, from those pillars into scriptures. And, and you have an integral role in this production, do you not? Yes, the whole project is essentially housed out of our center. AFPI has about 22 of these research centers. I'm one of them, uh, the Center for American Values. And so from there, uh, we kind of house this project, but it's really an AFPI-wide project and Really, it's for the American people. So that's what we're doing for. And clearly, Matthias, both by the tone of your voice and, and I have the privilege of seeing you as we speak by the, the your countenance, you take great sense of privilege in, in this work. It's a complete honor. Yeah. I, I remember when I, I think I even told you before when I first 
interviewed for the position and they were saying they were sharing about this project and they asked would i be interested in working on it i said yes absolutely i'd be interested in working on that so that was a that was an easy sell at that point i praise god to hear it it's, it's just a splendid initiative and when you were with us last which was just a few weeks ago you began to share uh, of these uh, found foundational principles and i think we got through the first three would you give us one more overview of numbers one through three of these biblical foundations? I'll, I'll do a quick flash through the first three here. But our first one is to make uh, the, uh, the greatest economy in the world to work for all Americans. And some of the scriptures that we use here come from Psalm 128.2. When you eat the fruit of your labor in your hands, you will be happy and it will go well for you. Uh, in Romans 13, 8, let no debt remain outside except the continuing debt to love one another. Whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. There's others here as well, and we're actually come out, coming out with an expanded booklet that creates, that brings even more perspective to it. But really, this is just about empowering the economy uh, through a biblical lens to make it work for everyone, make it equal across the board. And I, I don't think, you know, just an honest word, it's a perception. I could be wrong. But my impression is that most people, even committed Christians who are students of the word, uh, they're not fully aware of how deeply ingrained financial matters are in the Bible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, Bible has a lot to say about money. I mean, obviously, you know, it's, a, it's about stewardship. Um, not letting money control your decisions or be the sole motivator, I suppose, of why you make the decisions you make. I mean, money is a tool. It's a reality that we have to live with. And that's just can never control why we do things. It should control perhaps how we do things in some ways. What's number two? Number two, we have put patients and doctors back in charge of health care. So this is about um, obviously the healthcare industry in America. There's a lot of issues that we have with it. Some of the scriptures that we've coupled with this pillar is, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. From 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. And we also put in Isaiah uh, chapter 1, 7 and verse 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless and plead the case of the, uh, the widow. You may not think that that kind of fits in this piece, but it's about caring for the orphans and the widows. Yes. And that's a big part of this, yes. this, this pillar. Uh, and really what we're looking to do is uh, we want to put patients and doctors back in charge and unleash the creativity to co-labor with God for health solutions that provide transparency. How much more transparency do we need in this healthcare sector of ours? A lot more. You know, the, t the two thoughts I have in response uh, quickly. Number one, what medical school did the federal government attend? Okay, you know, and number <laughs> and now I just that just occurred to me. And <laughs> and number two, again, I I hear Christians of an older generation often will they'll cry out to God for help with their, their physical afflictions, but they'll believe that the body is of less import than the soul. The body is given great significance yeah. in the Bible. Oh, yeah. There's no question. It's stewardship. It's all of it stewardship. It, our body is a gift. You know, all every, yes. our health is a gift. And I think that that's at the core of this biblical foundation is the stewardship of our own bodies and our own health. 
That it starts with you. It will be about four weeks uh, as we're as this broadcast airs. Four weeks ago, I will have undergone a quadruple bypass. The only reason I would be subjecting myself to this is that my body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and thank God He has provided the doctors to take care of me. Yeah. And I'll 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 uh, thank the feds for staying out of my surgery. Okay, yeah, I want Doctor Toluca doing it, not the feds. <laughs> <laughs> Matthias, um, we need to take a break. Uh, one quick overview of number three, and then we'll plow into the, the next six or seven. Brad Lacey and Matthias Pertula of the America First Policy Institute. We will return for another round of the great message in just a moment. Thank you. Brad Lacey. And Matthias Pertula of the America First Policy Institute, we return for another round of the great message on Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. Matthias, you began to give us uh, an overview of the biblical foundations. We're just catching up by way of review from our last time together. You shared numbers one and two, but we also looked at number three. What is that? So number three is restore America's historic commitment to freedom, equality, and self-governance. And I think the point that I'll make here is the self-governance piece. I think we, as Americans, we forget that it's we, the people, that is the founding principle of our government. We are the governing authority. And I'll say that to the, especially to the church world who I uh, like to kind of push back sometimes when they don't want to put, you know, faith their faith in politics. They don't want to mix the two, but we are called to do that. That's where we're called to do, and the Constitution actually demands that we participate in this. So I think it's important to remember that. Folks. Yeah, I, I agree wholeheartedly. And what I will say is that I think that the church here in the West, certainly in the states, we indicative of our loss of this, or of at least of its diminution in our to our perceptions. The government shut us down a couple of years ago. And to this day, I don't hear many pastors commenting on how, how bad that was and why that should never happen again. It's That was a major overreach by the government. And some of the other statues that they were pushing in at that time, like keeping some questionable places open during a pandemic versus you know yes. the, the church in California going as far as even... Um, saying that you can't sing in church, you can't do a, a number of different... <laughs> but you could get a venereal disease in a strip club. Somehow the, the virus honored that one, right? Exactly. I mean, oh my heavens. You know, we did not shut down. I, I passed through a little tiny church, so I, we come under the radar, I guess. And thankfully, Governor Wolf here in Pennsylvania, though he is more leftist in his orientation, he never did shut the churches down. He tried to establish... Uh, some some parameters, yeah. for better or worse, but he never shut us down, yeah. and a lot of pastors here in Pennsylvania didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so my little church never closed down. I'm, I'm honored to say that we felt we prayed about it. We felt the spirit of God telling us a ch there's some church that has to be open here mm -hmm. in the event somebody needs spiritual uh, direction or or counsel or succor or somebody has to be open. You know. Yeah, but to this day, I'm not hearing pastors giving any reflection to what happened. There's some that are speaking up about it and a little bit of reflection happening. In, uh, like I will have to say, John MacArthur in uh, yes. California was pretty 
He held the line. Yeah, I appreciated his stance on this. I thought it was right on. Also, and MacArthur being more of a, a, ref, a conservative reformed, there's a Pentecostal man up in Seattle, Washington, Westgate Chapel, Dr. Alex, forgive me, his last name is escaping me in the immediate. He's a marvelous preacher. He's originally from South Africa. He's now in his early 80s, still very robust. But uh, he held the line as well on this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sure. But there were a few that did, but more should have done, you know, they should have done more, quite frankly. Right, right. But I understand that, you know, there's lots of people, you know, lots of pressures and considerations to take. Um, but I think that at the same time, you can raise your voice. You can speak up for what's right here. So if we don't speak now, we won't be allowed to speak Indeed. then or later. I'd also make reference to the to the clause relating to more broadly freedom. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm a, I come from Boston, and so I'm obviously a, a Boston Celtics fan. I mean no disrespect to my 76er list, fan listener base. But the Celtics had a guy on their team a couple of years ago named Ernst Kettner, or Kettner. Hmm. And I think he was a Muslim gentleman. And he spoke out against what the Chinese government was doing towards the Uyghurs. Mm-hmm. And this was within the shadow of, of a lot of this wokeism at play uh, throughout the NBA and the NFL and with LeBron James in the NBA and Colin Kaepernick in the NFL. So Kaepernick spoke out on behalf of the Uyghurs and he got shut down. Yeah. And the Celtics removed him from their roster and he has never returned to the NBA. This is a big guy right. who can score points and rebound the ball. Mm-hmm. But the Chinese authorities uh, let the NBA, which is in bed with the Chinese, the communist Chinese, right. they let them know we're not happy. Yeah. And the NBA was more concerned with money. We know this is true of Apple. This is a frightful movement within our Western culture yeah. that we surrender to I, this. I couldn't agree more. There was Mr. Freedom now, I think his name is, uh, Ines Cantor Freedom. So he actually spoke at a conference, the International Religious Freedom Conference. Oh, yes. This is in my previous role with ICC that I helped arrange yeah. that. So, Did you? Yeah. You met him? Yes. You yeah, we met him. Oh. We, it was great to uh, talk with him. He, he kind of gave a keynote address at our closing dinner, which was fantastic. But he even shared, you know, some of his experiences with the team, uh, you know, how they would silently support him for what he was doing. But, you know, there was there was too much money involved with contracts, with so many other things, with advertisements, you know, you name it. Like so ultimately there I'm, I'm sure there were folks, you know, he says that there were folks and members of his team that supported him, but they would not want to step into that with him. Unfortunately, and, and yet the and yet the leftist-oriented players will step up and speak. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it, it saddens me. I think it was Jason Whitlock mm. who made the comment. All of the athletes, you see, you see it when they they're bowing in prayer in the end zone. So many uh, ostensibly uh, devoted Christians within the world of professional athletics, and none of them are speaking out. Mm. For, uh, it, 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 Whitlock is, is stunned by it. Right. But there's fear and, and yes, there's vested interest. Yeah. Follow the money. That's what I'd say. Just follow the money. You go after people's interest in that way, yeah. they're going to be 
towing the line. But right. our Lord is not the Jaycoms. Our Lord is meant to be Jesus Christ Amen. and him both crucified, risen from the dead, ascended into the heavenlies, and praise God coming back. Amen. Yes, indeed. Uh, Matthias, number four. Let's move forward now. Number four, give parents more control over their children's education. So this kind of, all of these are pretty self-explanatory, but this is obviously about the education piece. And what we really want to do is bring in, bring parents really back into the education world. Um, parents should have oversight. They should have say over what, what their kids are being taught or how they're being taught in schools. I mean, you, you've seen this in local elections and state elections become a real issue. Like over even here in Virginia, um, the, the Democratic nominee at the time was saying that parents uh, should not be telling folks, uh, not be telling teachers how they should be teaching <laughs> or what they should be teaching. So I think that cost them election, the, the election personally thinking here. Uh, I, I'm pr pretty sure that that was the, the, the straw that broke the cram camel's back for him. So. Well, you know what? So much, thank God, even with the, you know, and I, I personally, I, I don't mean to parlay this into politics. This is a, a broadcast oriented around the gospel, but I'm not shying away from the political arena either. I agree with you. That being said, you know, where, what came for the pandemic to my mind, what was of greater uh, destructiveness was not the virus, although God, God helped those who suffered from it, but the medical profession quickly got a handle on it. Mm. Thank God. Yeah. But what the prevailing leftist powers did with it, and I speak of the prevailing leftist powers as something antithetical to our gospel, they showed their hand. Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of pus and dross bled out onto the surface. Yeah. We now know what we're up against. And this is the mercy and grace of God. We now know. Heretofore, it was, it was, via, it was subterfuge. Yeah. We know now. Yeah. Absolutely. Praise God. Yeah. I mean, and holding kids back from the school, I mean, it was insane. You saw the pictures of kids having to be, you know, within distances or whatever in schools. There was, there was just, it was, it was out of hand. Absolutely. Well, you only hope that we've learned, but I fear, I fear, and I don't mean to be unduly emotional here. I fear that the only ones who have learned were the prevailing powers that pushed this stuff on us in the first place. But God is greater than my fear as is his grace. Yeah. His grace is greater than our fears. Praise God. What's number five? Number five, finish the wall, end human trafficking, and defeat the uh, drug cartels. That's our fifth pillar. And what I want to kind of highlight here is just, you know, finish the wall is obviously a very political statement, but what it's really trying to attack is the fact that human trafficking and drugs are just pouring over the border here. Now, a couple of months ago, we had an event at AFPI where we highlighted the issue of fentanyl. And we had parents give testimony about their kids overdosing on fentanyl and dying. It was the, one, of the most, one of the most heartbreaking uh, testimonies that I had ever heard from mothers watching their sons struggle with this addiction and die from it. But this is not being... Um, this is not being talked about enough. People don't realize just how bad the pandemic, this scourge of fentanyl and drugs and human trafficking is centered around our southern border. It needs to be secured. It needs to be made uh, whole and it needs to be controlled. So that's one of the biggest parts of our pillar. I wholeheartedly concur, Mr. Matthias. I truly do. I, in fact, I'm 
won't even add because I think you've spoken so eloquently and clearly on the issue. Praise God. We need to take a break. Brad Lacey and Matthias Pertula, we will return for one final round of the great message in just a moment. Brad Lacey and Matthias Pertula of the America First Policy Institute, we return for one final round of the great message on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Matthias, you've been sharing with us the first four or five of these biblical foundations. I know you'd like to back up and offer some scriptural substantiation for the last one or two. So I can go back to number four here, and I think uh, the probably the best scripture, and this is the one that deals with education, is Proverbs 22, 6. Direct your children onto the right path, and when they are older, they will not leave it. I mean, I think that's the guiding principle for uh, all of us parents, uh, and especially their education. So that really encompasses it all. Um, on pillar number five, which we just talked about, finish the wall, end human trafficking, and defeat the drug cartels, I'll highlight this scripture. Like a city that is broken into, like a city that is broken into and without walls, so is a person who has no self-control over his spirit. I think that that's, you know, one of the, I'll even take that a little bit further, one of the founding principles of a, a um, wholesome uh, country, a country that is actually in control. One of the founding principles is you got to control your borders. You're not a you're not a nation without controlled borders. Well, it's very interesting yeah. that even the Bible is supportive of borders. You know, as a pastor, mm-hmm. you want anyone and everyone to enter the church. You want uh, in terms of coming to hear. Yeah. But you're not going to give membership to just anyone. Yeah. Because they might what if they what if that person who comes in, you say all are welcome. Well, all are welcome to come and hear the word. Mm-hmm. But what if that person begins to try and engage in an act of spiritual subterfuge, right? right. Uh, and 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 st- and dr- siphon people away from the gospel? Exactly. You can't let that person stay. No. no. You confront him in love, but then you may have to say, "There's the door." You, as the pastor, at that point, aren't really doing a good job of protecting and leading your flock, right? That's correct. Country, if we're letting just anybody come through the doors, like like I mentioned, the drug cartels, all the drugs that are pouring in fentanyl, not doing a very good job of you know protecting your people and your borders. Yeah, you know, once in my ministry, uh, maybe it should have happened more. One time, though, I had to sit down with someone, and this person actually I meant well by the body, okay, but he was of a particular dogmatic persuasion and became increasingly uh, virally antagonistic because I wasn't going along with his particular doctrinal nicety. I wasn't necessarily opposing it, but I felt it was a secondary issue, and he was using it to be more belligerent than... He said he meant well by the body, but he just had a personality. I finally had... He was he did so much for us, but I finally had to sit down out of regard for him. Mm-hmm. Brother, are you happy here? Yeah. <laughs> you know... Or would you, <laughs> and or would you be happier somewhere else? I didn't mean it unkindly, and he knew right. that. He came back to me three weeks later, and he says, "I think I would be happier elsewhere." It freed him up to yeah. leave, and I gather he's prospering. And he meant well by the body. Right. He just had a a temperament that was destructive right. at the time. I pray he's grown right. now, but but I've dealt with with more insidious forces as well. Yeah. And you, there are there are forces at work in the church you can't allow. Yeah. 
just as there are forces at the border that must be contained exactly. and held back. What's the next one, brother? Deliver peace through strength and American leadership. Borrowing a little bit from Reagan there, but let me read a couple of scriptures here that we're grounding this one in. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, Lord, have me dwell in safety. That's Psalm 4, 8. I think that's great. I mean, there's a lot of approve, I mean, a lot of uh, in the Bible that talks about what it means to be a force for good in the world. Um, God always has used nations in the past uh, to be stabilizers, to be, you know, Romans 13 talks about this as well, the governing authorities and so on. We, we ground that in as well in this, in this pillar. But really through this pillar, we seek to restore and renew American military strength and protect our people and deter the worst actors in the most dangerous world. I think that's a worthy goal. Yeah, absolutely. At, look, without in any way minimizing or maligning, uh, minimizing the contributions or maligning other nations and states, I have a book on my shelf by the, the great Walter Russell Mead. He's down your way in D.C. You know the name. Yeah. Obviously, okay. you probably know him far more than I and I have his book on the Anglo-American Alliance and the good that it's brought forth to the world. I mean, yeah. throw in Australia as well. Yeah. What other nation in times of crisis lends itself, as do we, whether it's liberating the entire continents or going into crisis situations where natural disaster is struck? We're it. Absolutely. The other piece of this is it's important to highlight. It's not just like military strength that makes you the most powerful country in the world. Economic power. There's a yes. lot of economic power that the United States can wield around the world yes. to do a lot of good around the world. So that's another component uh, here to think about. Unquestionably. I mean, to whom else can we look? The communist Chinese? No. <laughs> I, don't, I don't mean the Chinese. The communist Chinese. Right. Communist Chinese. Or the Davos crowd. Right. Are they, are, who are they rescuing? Exactly. You know, it's been the United States of America and prior to the U.S. and in, in, uh, not pervasively per se, but, but the Brits always made their contributions. They were the ones who, who, who eliminated the slave trade throughout the empire and almost overnight applied their navy to freeing slaves rather than to imposing yeah. slavery upon them. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of good there. Next one. Pillar number seven, make America energy independent. I love this one because it's how do you tie scripture to uh, energy independence? But the way we've kind of done with this one is we really go back to first uh, Genesis one, talking about stewardship, how God has called man to rule over the earth, you know, subdue it, reign over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky and all the animals, all basically all the resources of this world, steward them, you know, be a good be a good manager of what God has given you and use that for the benefit of the American people in the United States, that is. So. Matthias, last time I checked, we were energy independent <laughs> about three years ago, but <laughs> that's a loaded statement. I understand. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not going to disagree with that. No, I know. I wouldn't <laughs> think you would. I would not think you would. My goodness. We were well now, now, that's not... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, we were well along the way becoming even more energy dependent. Yeah, oh, we were. Mike, we were. Oh, my. That was number seven. How about we'll make number eight the final one because this forces us to bring you back. I have a, pre I have a pretext now to bring you back. Excellent. Okay. Excellent. All right, so number eight. So number eight is make it easy to vote and hard to cheat. Now, what this, where we've really grounded this is, 
Uh, you shall not, you shall do no injustice in judgment, in masquerading, uh, in measurement of length, weight, or volume. You shall have honest scales, honest weights, and honest ephah, and honest hen. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I think they're the key pieces, the honest yeah. scales, and actually just creating an system of integrity through voter ID and keeping the voter rolls current. Dead people shouldn't vote. Yeah. No, my, my heavens, no. And I want to pick up on number eight further when we, we bring you back, but I come from a legal family and that beautiful, that classic the icon of the scales, yeah. you know, I grew up with that. Yeah. And that was always the standard for our nation, if not always the application. It was always the standard yeah. and the aspiration. But, Matthias, we must bring this to a close. God bless you. God bless you, sir. Thank you for having me again. It's a joy. You'll be back within another month, even sooner. Brad Lacey and Matthias Pertula, we thank you for listening. Take care.